My daughter can now solve a Rubik's Cube in two minutes. It's pretty crazy. Uh, apparently, one of our local high schools has a Rubik's Cube team. I don't know what they do. Well, Rubik's Cubes, of course. But like, do they go, they have matches? Like Rubik's meets? I feel like I made this up to get out of school for the day. That's exactly what that sounds like. Found some sort of a loophole, created a club. Now, you know, you get to like miss the whole day and get Chick-fil-A. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and digital patient engagement strategies for hospitals, healthcare systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into a variety of topics on the digital tools, solutions, strategies, and processes that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information and have fun along the way. And now, here are your hosts, Reed Smith and Chris Boyer. Welcome to episode 101. I'm going to have to get used to the um, to the triple digits now. i got to kind of work on my cadence with that. <laughs> this is the second episode of 2019. I am Reed. That is Chris over the other side of the microphone. Hey, Reed. Welcome to the 100s. Who knew that 2019 would be the year of the 100s? So uh, <laughs> here we are. Here we uh, are. If you didn't listen, uh, we've had some some really nice feedback online about episode 100, which was kind of our best of a 2018 episode. My daughter was thrilled that she won the uh, best intro, so she was excited. My son was completely confused what we were talking about. <laughs> did, did you replay it for him in the car even? No, no. We were just talking about it in the kitchen a little bit ago. Uh, he was completely confused, uh, went down this whole rabbit trail of, you know, he asked if you and I had ever actually even met in person. Anyway, there's a whole... <laughs> whole deal there <laughs> we've anyway. met a couple of times so anyway yeah, <laughs> there yeah, we go <laughs> exactly exactly well welcome back touchpoint.health is the website rate review subscribe wherever you get your podcast that is the number one way to make us a little bit more visible to others which would be uh, super helpful so we're actually starting work this week kind of for the first time in 2019 so we're kind of getting back in the in the rhythm a little bit yeah, back into our old uh, or old habits, so to speak, and making this a weekly occurrence, which I always like. I always look forward to the time that we get together, read, and we have the ability to dive in on particular topics. And in this week's topic, I actually am surfacing something that came to light in my day job, and I thought, you know, rather than try to solve this problem alone, maybe I'll I'll bring it to the podcast, and you and I can talk about it together. Digital marketing. Of course, we're talking about digital marketing, but more specifically, advertising mix as it relates to digital. Right. And all the different ways that we as hospital marketers can spend money online. But really looking at it as like, are we spending our monies the right way? Are we allocating it the right way? What is it, you know, what does the whole picture look like for us when we're putting it together? There's so many different ways that we could advertise you know, are we doing it the way that's most effective? Well, we will get into that in a minute. Before we do, want to give a special shout out to one of our sponsors, Loyal. What do visitors to your hospital website really want? That is the million dollar question. But until recently, we haven't really had that great of a way to answer it. Until now, Loyal has a conversation platform that's called Guide uh, that allows you to not only engage with your site visitors, but also understand better the standard analytics of what your patients are looking for. And that gives you the ability to use those robust analytics and feedback features so you can actually see 
why customers are visiting your site and figure out if you're able to help them or not. If that sounds interesting, sounds like something you're maybe dealing with and you want to learn more, you can schedule a demo over at loyalhealth.com slash demo. Be sure to let them know that we sent you. Yeah. And if you're going to Hims, make sure you stop by Loyal's booth because they're going to be there. It's number 4573 and say hello. And again, let them know that we sent you. All right. So uh, digital marketing mix. The advertising mix itself. This is something I know that I guess folks struggle with a little bit, and and maybe let's let's uh, line out kind of more of what we're talking about when it relates to the actual you know terminology, platforms, things like that that we're we're currently spending our money. Well, so when you think about digital advertising, and when we talk about it in the concept of the mix here, I think that our minds go to certain types of ads. And so maybe we can just sort of list them out, read back and forth. You know, um, I know like for example, paid search or pay-per-click is one of the ones that that we know. But does that just mean, because typically when people say PPC, I think Google, I mean, is that other search engines? Are there other search engines still? There are other search engines, right? I haven't looked now that we've rolled into 2019, (laughs) but I think there are some still. Right, right. We might as well just round it up to say Google is a predominant search engine, if not the only one to really worry about. So when I think about paid per pay-per-click, I do think about Google for sure. And I think about, you know, all the different ways that you can advertise on Google, which, you know, is not only those ads that are, you know, that we're used to when you type in words or key terms or whatever that the ads pop up. But you can also now start to, within those ads, do sub-menus. You can start to add phone numbers to those. You could, you could actually put you know, call to actions directly in those ads. So that whole genre of that type of ad as Mm. a pay-per-click kind of ad. Yeah. So those have even evolved, you know, along those lines, you you know, display networks, um, this is where we think about like banner ads and things like that. Again, my mind still kind of goes to Google uh, in a lot of cases, it relates to even display, but there's obviously lots of places that can happen. It can be on just even you know local websites like the newspaper's website, for example, or a radio station or some other locally sourced website to your market. Now, another advertising platform or advertising platforms that we can think about are those that are in social media. Many of us, if we're doing digital advertising, are spending money in a variety of different social platforms to do advertising like Facebook where we do promoted or boosted posts. We could do, you know, different types of advertising. Twitter, you could you could promote your tweets, LinkedIn. And I think people are, are getting more involved in like uh, even advertising within uh, Instagram and some of these other social networks. Can you still promote a pin? Is that still a thing? Pinterest? I don't know. I don't know if you should just because you can. <laughs> don't misunderstand. I was just curious more than anything else. Most social platforms have some sort of a pay solution for businesses. However, I will say as a side, when most people say we want to promote this on social media, what are they talking about? They're talking about Facebook, right? Right. Very seldom does it really mean anything else. They don't go into it thinking that in that way, typically. But when you're like, okay, what do you want to do? You know, it all comes back to, well, we're going to post it on Facebook and maybe boost that. And then let's run some dark ads and then let's, you know, and then maybe Instagram, which technically is all within the same ad module. So it's kind of all the same thing anyway. 
Anyway, it's just funny. It kind of just all runs back to that one that one medium. Another type of ad um, that's similar to, well, maybe not that similar, but it seems like it is native advertising. So that's like if you go to a website and and this website maybe is informational in nature and you maybe sponsor a link that seems like you know other recommended articles or mm-hmm. people like this kind of thing. Or maybe even it's like natively placing some paid content within other advertising native content that looks more like a story, looks more like an article. Right. It's almost like a, kind of a digital version of an advertorial in a weird way. You know, another one that comes to mind to me is some people think this is, some people would classify this as digital. Some people maybe not is internet radio. So Pandora, uh, iHeartRadio, you know, some of those types of platforms uh, where you do get the the audible, much like radio advertising, you do get the the audible advertisement between the songs, if you will. But it's also is a display ad, if you will, on the device or on the platform, like on the screen or on your phone or whatever at the same time, which is kind of interesting. So it's kind of a crossover, but it definitely is a digital ad. You've heard of remarketing, right? Or retargeting those, those types sure. of ads. And that allows you to cross over multiple different places. And, you know, Facebook really encourages, I get emails all every week about how you, we should set up pixeling on Facebook, even though, you know, our, our lawyers are not too happy about us doing that. <laughs> so we don't, but still Facebook really wants us to do that. But the point is, is that we can then understand what happens after they interact with an ad and we could start to tailor future messaging to them. And you could tie that into more pay-per-click, maybe you display ads, or if you get really sophisticated, you pull it into your marketing automation program and even start to send them content through various different other channels. You know, another one that comes to mind, uh, again, maybe some people don't uh, include it in this, in this bucket would be email marketing. It's digital in nature in the sense that you're sending it, you know, via digital channels, but some people still kind of hold email out is, is something a little bit separate, but again, could be in there. could be a part of this. Absolutely. I mean, you are paying to distribute it. I mean, it is pretty much an advertising channel. Video advertising is becoming a huge thing that people are doing now. It kind of all falls underneath this bucket of digital, but some people may say, you know, YouTube in some people's mind is social, right? It's a social media platform. Some people see it as just, it's just YouTube. That's just what that thing is. There are a lot of options on advertising uh, when it relates to, to YouTube. I mean, playing pre-roll, you've got the ad spots within the ads. You've got the ads between videos. Um, there's a couple of different things that you can do there. Even just kind of the lower third that shows up as a little translucent. You know, there's a lot of different things you can do within YouTube that uh, is really effective. I mean, as we're listing out all of these different types of ways to do online advertising, and it's no wonder that it's hard for us to kind of create a mix or the right balance because there's so many different channels that are out there. I think that's one of the things that really causes a problem. As you're starting to look at all of your digital advertising, really looking at each one of these channels as separate as separate tactics, maybe separate places to place your money, it gets really confusing, doesn't it? It does, or it can, if you don't have a good, you know, measurement strategy around this, right? And so, again, a lot of this relates back to, are you going into this, doing these things without a real clearly defined goal in mind? If you have that predetermined goal and you have a way to measure against it, it shouldn't be all that complicated. You know, you should have a fair amount of money or, or, or some money there that you can place and try things, you know, because you, you have to end up with a baseline somehow, 
because that's one thing that we don't have as hospitals is a real clear baseline of what a good click through rate may be on a particular, you know, ad or platform or what have you, uh, relative to just hospitals. I always think about when you use like MailChimp or one of those email platforms and it says like, here's the open rate for this industry. There's not a really good one. We try so hard to say, are we exceeding expectations? Are we doing well? But we really don't know what to compare it against. You know, maybe the first time we go into the market for a first campaign, we can use that as a benchmark um, that we can look back and kind of measure against and then use that as our guide for the next campaign that you're doing. But even that kind of approach is a little bit experimental, right? And in the spirit of failing, as we talked about a couple episodes ago, is this the right way that we want to uh, to, to experiment? I think it depends on how well you can educate your own organization and get them to understand that until we create our own baseline, we're not going to have one. So I can't tell you how effective these channels are going to be until we spend a little bit of money. And so I think when you're looking at your budgeting, when you're looking at campaign development, things like that, the education around I'm building in X percent of dollars or, you know, however you want to frame that, I think is really important because then you you can come back with a clear baseline. You can show that against certain personas or certain platforms and how certain messaging performs and things like that. So when it comes time to create the mix, um, you've got a better opportunity to make that look right, you know, or have a better, uh, better, you know, going into it, a better, uh, I guess, outlook that, that hopefully you'll be able to measure against and prove to be true. Mm-hmm. The ability to go to these service line leaders and say, you know, if you're doing a campaign around bariatrics or joint or what, whatever it is, you know, what's the typical patient look like, you know, and try to really understand not just geographical demographics, but how old are they? How are they insured? And again, that's part of that education with senior leadership. Hey, here's who we're trying to reach based on the information that I can find online and, and what I'm understanding from what these platforms are reporting and what I can see in our own analytics. Here's where I think we should go with our marketing mix. Right. Right. And, and then use that, you know, to try to create these benchmarks. So again, you know, it's not that you just run out and do everything. If you know, you know, just to create a benchmark, if you know something's not going to work. These are critical pieces of trying to understand building the right mix. But, you know, I've often had, you know, service line leaders come to me and they say, well, we want to do, we want to promote, let's say, you know, cardiology services. How much money should we be putting in Google versus how much should we be doing in social versus how much should we be doing in this or that? I have to answer that question with a number of other questions. There's no magic number. You have to piece it together somehow in a way that actually makes sense. Persona is part of it. What's the other part is what you've talked about. It's like, what's the message? What are you trying to convey to them so that they can actually respond to your advertising? I think we can get close though, right? Because I think when someone says, hey, I want to promote X, Y, or Z, I think there's a couple of things we can ask and whittle down pretty quickly. Okay, well, how do we acquire these patients? And if it's via physician scheduling, like if it's, hey, a specialist that already practices here does those cases, well, how do they get them? Well, they're referred by primary care physicians or whatever. Like if you can figure out how the patient is acquired, mm-hmm. you know, if, it, if it's a consumer facing service line like sleep, right, uh, or bariatrics, 
joint, things like that. Like it's not necessarily life-threatening. Some of it's lifestyle, like plastics, for example, could be lifestyle-related versus the higher acuity. So if you're talking about like stroke, you know, that's an episodic event. If we understand how the patient is acquired and then we understand the level of acuity, I think we can figure out, like, listen, if, if you're living with AFib, you're probably going to be on the internet searching, right. looking, researching. Right. Bariatrics, I've used this stat for a long time, and so I don't know what it is in, in recent years. But at one point in time, I was able to determine, talking and, and looking online, that people interested in bariatric surgery would spend up to two hours a week for up to two years researching. Then there's some things that they're just living with, for example, that maybe social media would be good for it because it can introduce that thought. You know, they're not necessarily actively looking. So if you can determine how the patient's acquired, what level the acuity is uh, for the service line, and, you know, how people may be living with it on a day-to-day basis, you can probably whittle some of that stuff down. Hey, we want to take a moment to thank one of our sponsors, and that's our good friends at Binary Fountain. You know, as a healthcare marketer, it's probably pretty obvious these days how much time you're spending uh, on reviews, ratings relative to hospitals, physicians, all that kind of good stuff. You know, too many of those are going unanswered, and they're certainly not being analyzed. This could be costing us new and current customers. It could be impacting our patient experience scores and potentially impacting our revenue. Luckily, our good friends at Binary Fountain have an online reputation management platform called Binary Health Analytics. If you'd like to learn more or even schedule a demo, visit them online at binaryfountain.com. That's binaryfountain.com. What you're referring to is something I call campaign mapping, where you actually start to map out how are you going to put different tactics, and they could be paid or not paid. How are you going to use those to align with the user flow or with the user journey, the customer journey? For example, you know what questions are you going to answer when? How do they make decisions? And from there, we usually use a whiteboard where we kind of try to map it all together. And we end up drawing this diagram where we say, you know, for people that are just asking for general questions, maybe they're researching, they're not avidly trying to make a selection, they're just doing some evaluation. Mm-hmm. Maybe it might make sense to put some social media mm-hmm. there and put some content around it. And it really feeds into not only the types of tactics we're going to do, but also the, the messaging and the way you're going to you know introduce these concepts to them. Whereas people that might be ready to make that decision right away, they're going to go out to Google and they're going to say, I'm looking for the best weight loss surgery in Portland, Oregon. And they're going to be right there. You want to make sure you're, you're meeting them there as well. You're kind of campaign mapping. Well, I mean, sure, if you want to be fancy about it, that's fine. (laughs) That's was sort of an eye-opening thing for us, is that once we started to whiteboard just one particular campaign and diagnose it, we looked back before we even applied dollars to any of this, and we just looked at it all, and we're like, hmm, we have a lot of different tactics that are out there, a lot of different advertising channels that are out there that we're using in this campaign, and they're being used for different purposes, So how do we allocate our monies towards those? And how do we start defining that right advertising mix? You know, once you start to do that level of diagnosis, that's when you can actually start to move your planning to a little bit more sophisticated level, because then you can actually start to assess, oh, 
Well, in this case, we're looking for an acquisition. So what we're going to be trying to measure is cost per acquisition, as opposed to in this particular case, what we're trying to do is get more awareness to this Facebook post. And so the value of that or the KPI of that particular advertising tactic might be a lot different. Yeah, what we're talking about here from a campaign mapping standpoint is that strategic layer. Mm -hmm. And a lot of things that we've talked about historically, like A-B testing is more at that tactical level. So that's, you know, that's within, that's at the execution phase, uh, not the strategic phase. But I still think that's important because as you're building these benchmarks, you've got to know what works, what doesn't work. And so from a strategic standpoint, you know, okay, well, we need to be on this platform. But that A-B testing allows you to test certain messaging, images, the type of ad. So, I mean, Facebook's got, I'm, I'm losing track at this point. Uh, I want to say they've got like, you know, 64 different types of ads or something. I don't know. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? I mean, like, yes. how, how many more ads do I need? But really, they create something and then they go, oh, and we can make this a paid solution. <laughs> so mm-hmm. whether it be like stories or whatever, anyway. So, but that's at that tactical, that execution level. So knowing the right mix still does not get you to the what the execution necessarily looks like. It knows where to be but not, you know, what to be on those platforms. When you start to go in and you you start to pull out what can you measure from these from these different things? How are you going to measure success in terms of your advertising spend on Facebook as opposed to Google, which way so you can advertise? They all don't present the same kind of data back to you. Like for example, Google when you uh, when you're measuring it, cost per conversion is on the number of people that actually responded to the ad. But on Facebook, cost per conversion is based on how much of a reach that your actually ad had, as opposed to how many people reacted to that advertisement. It, it makes it really difficult when the same terminology is used across platforms, but does not necessarily report the same metric. I don't even know what engagement means anymore. Like I based on different platforms and that kind of stuff, you know, 3,800 engagements. Like, what does that even mean? But that's different on Facebook versus Instagram, even, you know, versus Twitter versus these other things. So again, and it's hard. It's hard that then when you're taking those metrics back to leadership and they're like, well, apparently Facebook's working way better. And it's like, well, kind of. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Uh, These don't actually mean what they say. It's like the Princess Bride thing again. So (laughs) it's inconceivable how well our ads are are running. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I do not think that word means what you think it means. (laughs) Okay, here's my hot take. I feel like we need like a sound for like you know hot takes. Okay, Uh, some sort of a I don't know. Uh, All right. So my hot take is quit spending money on Facebook. You should shift it all into near me searches on PPC. Of course, I mean, I guess that depends a little bit on what your strategy is. If your strategy is access points, then shift it all into near me searches. All right. I'll go with you on that one. What's interesting, though, is Amazon is starting to eat away at at the pie here. It's voice. It's going to be about voice. So less people will be typing stuff in. And I think that's where, you know, obviously Google's made a huge investment. Amazon's made a huge investment. Have you seen the, what is it, Facebook portal? Have you seen one of these things? 
Well, I try to avoid them, but yeah, I've seen them. Yeah, I was in Best Buy and they had them in there. And I felt like I was looking at like a larger version of Google Glass or something. <laughs> Not that it does the same thing, but I feel like, you know, this is going to be something like a year from now. It's much like Google Glass in the sense that like there were a couple of really good use cases but nothing enough to keep it alive. So like Google Glass, there was always that deal of like pre-surgical checklists and those types of things. You'd be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, people that, you know, are using their hands, like that could be a good, you know, in the medical field, yeah, but it's not enough to do anything with. Like they're not going to keep that product going. And I just cannot for the life of me figure out this whole idea of Facebook portal and why anybody wants that. Because they're not cheap. It's a very expensive way to access Facebook, and by the way, get, allowing Facebook to have a camera inside your home now to be able to see you. I mean, we're putting tape over the webcam on our laptop, so we're going to buy this gigantic camera from Facebook and just like plop it down in the kitchen. <laughs> Everybody's going after voice, right, as we've identified, and that's where Amazon's taking a play into it as well. But when you step, take a step back now, Reed, as a marketer today, as a hospital marketer, and you're starting to look at your digital ad spend, what are some ways that we could start to develop methodologies around measuring the right mix? Well, again, I mean, I think it starts with having effective goals in place, you know, which I think is more than just the marketing department. It's the idea that you're working within a larger organization to understand what it is that we're trying to accomplish and how does marketing play its role within that? And in this case, advertising. And specifically, the goals of what you're trying to accomplish overall for everything you're doing from a branding, marketing, communications perspective. Then look at when you go into the advertising perspective, right, or the advertising component of that, how much of your overall campaign dollars should be invested in those tactics? And where does content marketing fit in all of this? If you pay someone to write blog posts for you, you know, like a freelancer or whatever, does that count as an advertising expense or is that a content expense? I'm not really sure. That's a good question. That's really hard. I, I don't know that I want to get into content marketing. In my mind, my gut reaction is it's not an advertising expense. I don't know. I don't know. What do you think? You know, I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about it because when I look at advertising, I think of it as like a promotional expense, right? When you think about the four P's of marketing, advertising is the promotion piece of it. But content marketing is certainly blurring the lines. And like everything else that's happening in digital, right? It's the lines are being blurred. I tend to budget those dollars for content marketing production as being a content expense, not necessarily a promotion expense. I think that makes sense. And so I think, you know, you start with, you know, goal development, though, uh, I mean, at some point you mentioned it earlier, you got to understand who the audience is. You got to understand what your message is and how you're going to get that message to your audience. I think those are important pieces of this too, right? Like you illustrated before, if you're going to go into the market to market a campaign that the consumer themselves can't select, that they have to be referred by a primary care or a specialist, maybe you don't do a lot of direct-to-consumer advertising dollars. Maybe that's not the right goal. Let's think about that for a second. Because, I, you know, again, you, you've got to determine budget. You've got to, you know, what do you want people to do? Um, like you said earlier, I still feel like we've got to have some defensible baseline around what it is the mix looks like. Well, one thing that I've done, Reed, is um, I, I started to think about it in this way. Some of the things you're doing are around awareness, 
around branding and awareness, just trying to promote your services in a way just so people know that you have these services. Now, your advertising success, your your KPIs of your advertising dollars are a lot different in that regard. But then there's other things you do that are actually trying to drive them to do some kind of action. And a lot of that action is maybe making an appointment or, or doing something like that. So then I start to look at that type of promotion is a little bit different and carrying different types of goals to it and subsequently different kinds of budget to it. You know, it'd be interesting. I'd love to have, you know, some conversations. If, you know, folks listening to this want to connect with us on LinkedIn, I would love to hear, you know, really how sophisticated, like what what is the process for determining your mix? You know, we're using the same basic channels for the platforms. Is it regardless of cost to action, regardless of the the target specifically, we're using the same basic dollars per platform. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I see that a lot, right? Which is we need about X amount of dollars per month on this platform to have it reach anybody or to be effective or whatever. Uh, we're just kind of throwing it at the wall, see what sticks. Well, right. And I think that's why it's really important, too, that not only do you do all this planning ahead of time and you make your best guess as to what the right marketing mix could be based on what your intentions are and based on all these things we've talked about. But then at like maybe a 30 day mark, you stop and you go back and you measure everything and say, wait a second, is this actually working? Does this channel actually perform the same way for this service line as opposed to this service line? Is this the right approach that we should be doing? And those 30-day checkpoints become critical to not only like optimize and improve what you're doing, but then you can actually use those learnings to apply towards other campaigns that are in market. You think most people get that leeway? Do most people get a runway to determine how much and should we be doing this and how we should be doing this and that kind of thing? I feel like most people are in the boardroom. I don't know what that means. I've just heard people say in the boardroom, but in the boardroom, like selling, you have to sell the completed plan. Like here it is. And we're doing this and I'm riding this thing into the ground, regardless (laughs) of what happens. Like I'm going, I'm going down with the ship if this doesn't work. And, And I think with traditional media, you have to do that to some degree. Because there's such a lag in the reporting. So you, you place outdoor, you place whatever it is, you know, you're going to get a report back a month later, probably, if, if you're lucky, maybe six weeks on how that first month went. And then, you know, it takes you maybe a week to make some changes. Well, you're two months in mm-hmm. before you're making any adjustments. And then you got to wait another six weeks to find out if that worked. You know, the idea that we can do it daily on digital, which I'm not sure is smart, but you could. I think it's a different way of looking at that. I'm just not sure that we participate in it the same. You know, we, we just kind of do the way we've done the the traditional mediums in a lot of cases, I feel like. Well, it's interesting because with TV and like the traditional mediums, like TV and billboards, you pay for that money up front. Mm-hmm. In a lot of cases with digital, you're paying as you go. It becomes a little bit different. Yes, yeah, it's, res- it's the result in a lot of cases. How many people clicked on it, clicked through? So maybe with digital, what you could do is you allocate your digital dollars across all your digital channels as one lump sum, like a big number. And then you can go in and you can start to 
change the percentages of that. Let's say you have $5,000, right? Or whatever it is. You say, okay, I want $5,000 for digital advertising. And then on the back end, you're kind of machinating and pulling the strings where you're saying, well, we're going to go into market with 25% on paid search and 10% on display ads and 25% on social media. But we're going to kind of tweak the numbers as we go we're trying to iterate on the uh, on the performance of this campaign because you don't have to pay for it up front. Again, I think this goes back to a little bit of education, right? It's just such a different way of looking at how we spend our money because you're not committing it all up front, like you mentioned. So is that a harder message to sell in a strange way, even though it's a better outcome? It's a, it's a very difficult message to sell. And you know what's even more difficult, Reed, is that much of this, you can't even show people what it looks like. With paid search, for example, you could show them what the ad looks like, but you can't show them all the keywords that you're going to be buying against them. And of course, they want to go Google these ads. And so, you know, it's it's one of those, it's kind of a catch, it's a catch 44, more than a catch 20, double what a catch 22 <laughs> it's is. It's twice it, yeah. It's twice as hard, right? In that you've got to be more effective. And so you can't really predict what the number is going to be at the beginning. And secondly, you can't really show what it looks like. That's the exact opposite of what traditional advertising looks like. Don't worry. Just trust me. (laughs) (laughs) Trust me. I'm an expert. Well, maybe I'm going to, I'm going to do you, I'm going to one up you earlier. You said, just put it all on search on paid search of, you know, put all your money into paid searches of near me type ads. Here's what I'm going to say. In order to get around the boardroom discussions, you should just throw all your money into traditional advertising because at least you'll have a finely produced ad, a nicely looked billboard, and you'll know what your ad spend is up front. You won't have to answer all those difficult questions that they have for you, right? Hey, nobody got fired for buying IBM. Hey, Chris, before we go too much further, jump into this next segment of the podcast, I did want to uh, mention and thank uh, one of our sponsors, Influence Health. Uh, You know, they've got a consumer experience platform that that covers several things. And correct me if I'm wrong, but we've we've talked about content management systems on this podcast. Yeah, we did. What about CRMs? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we covered CRMs for sure. And then obviously each and every week we talk about digital marketing. So digital marketing systems, uh, you know, in one way, shape or form have probably been covered, right? That's right. Digital marketing systems. And I would say that we even talk about it in a way of uh, that overall digital consumer experience. Well, there you go. I, you know, I would I would recommend for anybody interested in one of those topics uh, or anything else. They've also got some complimentary solutions on their website. But but head over to their website, take a look at what they've got and what they're offering relative to CMS, CRM, digital marketing systems. Kind of how all that is woven together in what they call their consumer experience platform. Find your way over to influencehealth.com. All right, welcome back to Ask the Expert portion of the podcast. Uh, today, I'm fortunate to have a colleague of mine, David Pace, uh, join us on the show. David, thanks for spending a couple of minutes. Thanks for having me. 
So David is all things media and advertising for a great digital group, which is the digital agency that I'm fortunate enough to be a part of based out of San Antonio, Texas. Before we get started, uh, maybe just a little bit of your background and kind of how you got to Gray. So I started in traditional advertising out of college and just kind of worked my way through web development design, understanding why people are coming to websites, how to get more people to come to websites, and then kind of got into digital marketing at another company, learned the ins and outs, and was able to keep my kind of marketing mentality throughout that. And now I you know, oversee all marketing, paid and organic for most of our clients here. I've had the chance to work with David on a lot of our clients, hospitals around the country and other healthcare organizations. And so that's been kind of fun to see that process. And so everything from keywords to the actual buying on the platforms to, like you said, the organic side to the SEO side of the equation and some of those types of things. Chris and I have been kind of talking through this episode about the digital media mix and kind of what 2019, does that still really mean what it's what it's always meant? And I know we've seen the maturing of platforms, the evolution of different platforms like Facebook, for example. Does digital still mean what it meant five years ago? Or are you seeing kind of your role and scope of what's included in the media mix. Is that is that evolving pretty rapidly? Yeah, I, th- I think it's changing and it's obviously different depending on cities who you're trying to target, what specific services within a hospital you're trying to target. But a lot of it has changed just because there's so many more people on digital platforms and there's so many different softwares. Even the social media side, there's different platforms from Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you know, all these things are evolving as far as ads go, but then there's more platforms opening up every single day. So we're constantly having to kind of look for where people are going, how to target them. And some of that is pushing towards more of the organic side and even kind of a mix of the two, like you and I have have talked a little bit about some native ads in the past, where it's actually injecting paid ads into kind of on an organic platform. It's just constantly evolving and it's constantly trying to see what's next, what's coming up, what users are using, and then testing it. So you mentioned native, and that, that's an interesting one because at least in my mind, I'm not seeing a ton of healthcare organizations going down that path. Are we seeing many clients use that type of thing? And if so, or, or even if not, where where is that an opportunity in your mind? Where, where does native fit in? It, it really needs to be used as becoming an expert in a certain topic. So most of these native ads are injected into specific industry websites and blogs and forums. So you have to have the content backing to be able to put that out there and show users that you're the expert and not these other posts that are along there. You have to have that knowledge already and use it as more kind of a branding and awareness tool to just show people who you are and that you know what you're doing. So it's it's a little bit of a longer play then. I mean, it's not a super transactional ad like you think of as, as display or even PPC especially and, and some of that stuff. Yeah, definitely. It's getting out there to the community and essentially it's getting out there to the digital community. So a lot of these hospitals are... They're already, they have a presence locally, but once it goes online, it's fair game for any and everyone in the area. So you have to be able to 
have your presence known by essentially bidding on these, much like a PPC side of things. You have to be able to bid on these different topics and industry websites. It's almost a mix of display, native, and just knowing where to be and when to be there with the correct material and expertise. Hearing you talk about that or hearing you say that, then that, that really brings to light or kind of resonates with me that, that digital, as far as the media mix is concerned, the paid side of the equation is much more uh, having to align or you're needing to align with your content strategy, not just we're running campaigns in a silo over here and we'll find somebody to write blogs over here. You're having to kind of sync up both sides of that that digital equation to t- if you're going to take advantage of native. Yeah, and, and that goes for a lot. Unless you're really just trying to drill down to like one specific marketing service line plan where you're trying to sell a product or a service right then, you really need to go and like develop the audience and develop the material and make sure it's cohesive throughout the entire conversation that you're presenting to the end user. You know, I hadn't really thought about that because, again, a lot of the paid has lent itself to uh, less preparation. You've been able to say, look, I, you know, we don't, you know, we, we have a small staff of folks. Uh, we want to focus on a particular, you know, filling the room for a seminar, right? And so you can run ads against those personas, I guess, those people or those platforms, or, you know, however you want to kind of frame that. And it was pretty transactional. You clicked on a thing, you went to like a landing page, you filled a form out. And so, I mean, that's still all relevant, right? I mean, that that's still a, a I guess, a course of action. Yeah, I mean, that, that's what drives business. Yeah. That's where it's a difference between a lead-driven campaign and then these branding and awareness campaigns. And especially in the health industry, when it's so competitive, you need to be there and be known, which we've seen some clients do and awesome job at it uh, that we've worked with Um, but you need to make sure that you're essentially any and everywhere that someone's looking whereas the lead campaigns are you know someone is looking for a specific service that you offer you already know where they're going to be looking so you don't have to cover as much ground you don't necessarily have to be quite as uh, prepared with those campaigns because you're offering them less it's a lot easier to show a specific service that you can offer them than it is to show that you're a good person and your company is trustworthy. Those are things that take longer. And that's where a lot of impressions and just showing up wherever they're looking come into play. Well, it's something that that I've talked uh, historically about is kind of this trust versus transaction paradigm. You know, the transactional piece can, it can happen without trust occasionally if the value is there, the benefit is there, perceived benefit, I guess. But in a lot of cases, that transactional piece comes much easier once the trust is built. So over time and over a longer period of time, if you're participating in thought leadership and creating good content that then maybe makes its way into some of this native advertising, when you run more of that lead generation or that transactional campaign, I would assume, uh, you know, I don't know this, I'm kind of making an assumption, but I would assume then, you know, your performance of those transactional campaigns will probably go up as the trust in your organization and what it is that you do has been built and, and there's been, you know, sowing into that over a period of time. Definitely. I, I've seen uh, some of our clients want to almost test our services and they'll start out with just a, uh, a service or product that they're trying to push. 
um, as they we start to show some results for them. They'll throw in a little bit more branding, being display, retargeting um, some of these native ads, and lo and behold, the product or service that they're originally trying to push starts to skyrocket um, and leads. You know, I've seen like 20, 30% increases just from these branding and awareness campaigns uh, running side by side. And that's interesting. Okay, so let's pivot just a little bit to, okay, I'm sold. These are good things to think about, good things to do. What do I do to kind of start down that path of, you know, looking or, you know, or evaluating my mix, my current mix, and, and, and how do I know where I should go with that mix, whether that should include, you know, some native advertising or not? Do you, do you have some thoughts around, you know, someone wanting to take a step back or take that first step in and kind of what they should be doing? I would go and look at um, any of the data that was collected internally and just figure out where users are coming from currently. Uh, something that Reed and I do a lot is put together those personas and demographics of users and then try to start breaking them out into these different segments that you can target. And then you take another step back and say, all right, with segment A, B, or C, what different platforms can I use to target these users? And then it comes down to having enough experience to kind of make the call of platforms, you know, we'll, we'll say retargeting, display, and PPC. It's a matter of figuring out what percent of the budget needs to go into which to achieve the overall goal that we're trying to achieve at the end of the day. That's going to come with experience and working with someone who does this daily has ran many different campaigns, things like that, who has seen the results on the, the other side. So they know, as you said, kind of the digital mix up, uh, what results it can produce. And then from then, it's just a matter of testing all these different hypotheses that we have put together and making adjustments here and there until it kind of becomes an optimized campaign. And then it's just a matter of adjusting for different goals that pop up throughout the year. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think Chris and I even mentioned some of that stuff earlier in the episode in the sense of testing and trying, seeing what works, both from a strategy level and then a tactical kind of A-B testing standpoint, right? So what images work well, what copy works well, those types of things. And I think to your point, once you do a lot of that, you do have a little bit of a baseline because I think that's part of the problem with hospitals specifically, unlike some other industries, there's not a great benchmark out there. Yeah. To David's point, you know, working with someone who's done a bunch of these campaigns in the industry is helpful because there is a little bit of a leg up as far as the benchmark goes. Is this click-through rate a good one? Is this particular metric bad? What metric should I even be looking at? And maybe even a jumpstart on the personas and things like that, because I think part of the the hardest part to me in, in a lot of cases is not the next campaign, it's the first campaign, because that's the one that I'm having to try to sell leadership on in the first place that we should spend this money without a real benchmark in place. Is that is that fair? I mean, do you see that? And just having someone with a little experience actually gets you to, instead of ground zero, maybe your two or three iterations down the road. That's time and budget that's no longer being wasted and just gets the client to get results quicker. Like someone with absolutely no, or not no experience, but someone who's just started in the digital realm, 
I can tell you when I first started, I wasn't producing the campaigns and the results that I am right now. And that's just because I know what to look for. I know when to change things. I know what to change and I know what to test. I think that's the overall biggest thing that a digital marketer needs to to know and to do is to just test things constantly, but have the knowledge to know when to pull something or let it go a little bit longer to kind of complete a test. This is a good place to interject. This interview is a little bit different than some of them we do because obviously you and I work together and this is something we provide as a service. And so if someone does want to connect with you specifically or connect with the two of us, we'd be willing to jump on the phone for a half hour and visit um, and, and see if there's something that we can help with or bring light to. We'll have David's uh, email address in the show notes. Uh, of course, everybody knows how to track me down. But man, certainly appreciate the time and kind of the thoughtfulness around you know how some of this is evolving and how it continues to evolve to the point of if you're not doing this on a pretty regular basis. Sometimes it's hard to understand what's good, what's bad, kind of where that line is. So thanks for uh, coming on for a few minutes. Hey, thanks for having me. Have a good rest of the afternoon. Well, Reed, that was another great episode with lots of great conversation about the digital advertising mix. I'm not sure we gave out a silver bullet or silver bullets for our audience members to follow. But um, I think that we at least gave them some good guidelines on how to start down that path. What do you think? Absolutely. I mean, much like everything, and I hate to give this disclaimer in in some respect, but it's true. It's going to depend on the organization, the culture, the leadership, what the goals are, like what, what you're trying to do as an organization. I mean, if you're running a branding campaign, that's going to be totally different than you're trying to grow a service line. And then growing a service line, is it a physician-directed service line, like stroke, for example, or even neuro to some degree uh, overall? Or is it a consumer-facing one, like we mentioned, sleep or bariatrics, maybe even joint, things like that? So again, there's so many nuances to this, but hopefully you've kind of got some thoughts or some takeaways or at least some things to go back and question. Well, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, Reed mentioned earlier in this episode about hitting us up on LinkedIn. You can find us on LinkedIn, the Touchpoint Media Network. You can also find us on Twitter. And we always welcome feedback right on our website, touchpoint.health. And that's a great place where you can jump out and look, not only find our podcast, but also find all the other podcasts that are on the Touchpoint Media Network. You know, here in a couple of weeks, we'll start talking about maybe where we're going to be for spring. And I've got a couple of things coming up. The Texas Hospital Association Conference, for example, I'm over into February. But we'll get more into that in, in some coming episodes. But before we get out of here, maybe a couple of recommendations. Well, over the holidays, I had the chance to fly back and see my family in Colorado. One of the things I needed to do was rent a car. When I got there, I belong to a major car rental company. I'm one of their gold members. And so I looked up the cost of renting a car over the, over Christmas and found it to be ridiculous. Like something like 130 bucks a day, obviously, right (laughs) there. They realize that you need a car. They're going to charge you for it. And I was really frustrated by it. And I was like, gosh, this is so much money for, you know, just a like a, a extended long weekend. And then my friends at work told me about a service called Turo. Have you heard mm-hmm. about Turo? I have, yeah. It's awesome. I have not I have not used it. How how did it go? It went 
great. So Turo is like Airbnb, but for cars. And it allows you to basically rent cars from other people. Mm-hmm. So you go to a website, Turo.com, and you figure out where you're going to go, put in the dates, and then you find out what is available there. There was a wide variety of inventory for us to choose from. We could have, for the same price, which I would have gotten an economy car from that major rental company, we could have gotten a Tesla for the weekend. Oh, yeah. We decided to, you know, we were trying to save some money, so we decided to bring it down to the more normal cost. Got a really nice car, picked it up right at the airport. was very easy to get. You take the shuttle bus to a, a car place. They have a valet parking. You pick it up. All you have to do is return the car in a clean condition with the gas fueled up. And it was so easy. It communicated with the owner on the app. It was just one of the most easiest things ever. And it was half the price. Nice. Yeah, I think you can rent some pretty cool stuff on there if, if you're if you're a car person. Uh, I've heard and, and seen a lot of guys that do car reviews on YouTube. That's, how, that's what they do. Like they mm-hmm. use Toro to go and rent really interesting cars and use them for their car reviews and that kind of thing. So, I just rented a regular car. Got us there. Was yeah. perfect. It, it, it met, checked all the boxes, and I'm certainly going to do it again. So, highly recommend it. Very cool. I'm going to go with something else. People that have listened for a while maybe have heard me talk about woodworking and some leather stuff and et cetera, et cetera. But anyway, I like to build and do things. And I got a Swiss made. Sweep gouge. Do you have one of those? I do not. I don't even know a sweep gouge. What is a sweep gouge? Well, so if you think about like a chisel, I mean, it's basically about the size of what you would think of like a hand chisel to be. But instead of just kind of that straight blade where you would chisel stuff with, it's more of a scalloped uh, edge and it's used to remove stock from, from wood. So, I mean, you can like actually gouge or you can take wood out and so people use them a lot to make like wooden spoons for example so if you think about like how that indention for the spoon is made well you would use this chisel type device to gouge out that wood and so it's it's kind of a rounded or a scalloped edge it's made by a company called i don't, I don't know how, how do you say p-f-e-i-l-d is it field p-field <laughs> field with a yeah it's like a hard P- a P-F. yeah anyway <laughs> Field. Anyways, Field Swiss Maze, the number seven sweep gouge, 14 millimeters, a good one, but they make them in all different sizes. If you, if you can imagine, the scalloped edge is in various, almost out flat to like a really almost like a U shape, depending on which you know one you want. This is a number seven. Really cool, and you can do some neat, neat woodworking stuff. And if you know want to make some like utensils, like a spoon, for example, it's just it's just kind of fun. And that's what I'm recommending. And I bet you that's metric too, right? It's Swiss. I mean, it has to be, right? (laughs) Well, we all love the metric system here. So that's That's great. That's right. It's awesome. Well, very cool. Well, good episode. Good things to think about. It's great to kick off the new year. Look forward to all that 2019 is going to bring. We, uh, uh, of course, have got some great things going on the network. If you haven't been over to the website, touchpoint.health checked out some of our other shows we had a best of episode episode 99 if you want a little sampler platter you can go back and check out a little bit from each of our shows uh, and get kind of a flavor for which one you may like and go subscribe to but we would certainly appreciate all the support more to come really great things coming down the pipe look forward to talking more about so for chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.